same attitude of worship. Um, so I have a, a message here for, t- for you guys tonight. And honestly, I, I, I definitely feel the presence of God here tonight. And, and it's something very important for us to be able to talk about mental health. It's something very important for us to be talking about where does mental health intersect with our faith? Where does it intersect with the Bible? Um, I have a good, decent-sized message, but I'm going to try to condense it because I do believe there's margin um, for where God is wants to do further, and especially in the moments of worship. So later on, we're going to have a little bit more of worship um, led by Eric, and I do believe that God wants to continue doing something that he has already begun um, during the moment of worship. But I wanted to just quickly just, what is exactly is mental health? So mental health includes our emotional, psychological, social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. You know, struggling with mental health is nothing to be ashamed of. Let me just lay that out and as a foundational for what we're going to be talking about. It is, excuse me, it should be nothing to be ashamed of. Today, some people hide that they are struggling with their, with their mental health because of what people might say, because of what people might, might react in the way you are, the way that people might get rejected because of it, or because of uncontrolled emotions or because of the shame that we carry because of it. So today, really quickly, we're going to look at four people's lives and how mental health intersect in their lives right here in the Bible. But here's the, here's the thing. They actually hid these issues. And what I really, really enjoy teaching about this um, is that I, I can clearly see how God interacts with his people. You see, the subject about mental health and God, or mental health and faith, and mental health and Bible, it's really not that complicated if you know your creator, how loving he is, how care, how, how he cares for you, and how he pursues you, exactly through that song that we were just singing right now about reckless love, like every single word of it, as, as I was just singing, like, man, God, that, that's obviously the song we're singing is about God, and I'm just seeing that so evident here in this message, so let's just take, and I'm just laying out to you like, as, as far as like an evidence type of base, so we're, as if we're putting certain people on trial, but they're not guilty of anything. Um, other than hiding their issues instead of, you know, tackling at it. So let's take a look at Moses, for example. If some of you don't know Moses, I'll give you a really quick story. He was a baby, put in the basket, went down the river. He he was found by some good good old Egyptian, wealthy Egyptian folks who were also the ruler of the land. And then he struggled with the identity of knowing that he was also a Hebrew, uh, of a Hebrew people, and he was raised in an Egyptian household. Eventually, he intersected with another Hebrew who, in slavery, was being attacked and harmed by another an Egyptian person. In his rage, he attacked the Egyptian, trying to defend his Hebrew brother, and he murdered the Egyptian. Obviously, it's, that's not a good thing for him, especially growing up in, into, in, in an Egyptian household, in an Egyptian palace. He then went away and isolated himself and, and for, for close to 40 years. Until one day, God met up to him exactly where he was. And the way God met up with him, you guys probably know it. Obviously, you know, the whole burning bush, you know, you know, like it's, it's a cool description where it's like the wood is, is, is on fire but not burning. Something very intriguing. Um, some of you guys may be familiar with the story. But what I want to really point into this, and I don't want to just tell the story as we have probably heard it um, a couple of times, is to really lean in on how In Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, it says, But Moses pleaded with the Lord, and this is after God is telling him, Hey, you must go back to Egypt, 
and you must go, you know, let my people go. You must tell the Pharaoh that I, who, who I am and tell them that I'm going to free my people. But then Moses was contesting with God. And he was saying, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been. I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, and here's the first question that God asks, asks, asks in this, in this, I guess, in this message, because we're also going to take a look at Cain and then later Adam and Eve, how God questions their action. Here's the first question that God asks Moses. He says, he's trying to reflect it back onto himself. Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? It is not I, the Lord. It's crazy how God is basically responding to Moses' reaction to everything that's happened. Never mind, there's a burning, there's a, a bush on fire, but yet not, not being consumed, not being burned. Yet the thing that he has a problem with is that I, 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 I don't know how to speak well. <laughs> that's what he's, that's what's, what's concerning him. And that's literally the power of what's going on in his mind. Now, mind you, I gave you a really quick story. Again, he is a murderer. He killed somebody, and then he ran away, isolated himself. And never, never mind that, he grew up in an Egyptian palace that basically had an identity issue between a Hebrew, being Hebrew as well as Egyptian, battling out. So then now you have here where God is basically calling him, like, hey, I have a plan and purpose for your life. And the first thing he says, like, listen, man, you do not know what's going on up here in my mind. And what did God say? Like, I don't need to know. I know who I am, and that's who you need to be reminded of. And that is the power that God demonstrates, not only just through those words that he says, but he actually gave him more of a comforting tool. We, we know that he gave him a staff-like stick that once you put it on the ground, it turned into a snake. You know, like, uh, you guys got good. You guys are paying attention. You, it turned into a snake. He knew that he also gave him um, just basically, you know, like when he went to the Pharaoh, like all the, the, the plagues that happened and turning water into, into the color of red and the color, of, the color of blood and all these things, it gave him the confidence. It was always reflecting, like, you have to remember who I am, the power that I have over your life. And even after that interaction with him, he was still then again basically said the exact same thing. And God finally said, like, all right, fine, I'm going to send you together with your, 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 um, your brother Aaron. You know, he's like, fine, you're still going, <laughs> but you're going to go with somebody. And that just even shows how much, it, like, God understands and be able to meet. He's just like, no, you're going whether you like it or not. You're going to shut up and go. Like, it wasn't a type of attitude that's basically forceful. It's like, fine, listen. I'll let your brother speak on your behalf. And we know the story that Aaron did speak on his behalf, but eventually Moses did speak up. It was like as if God was like easing him in into his role, easing him in, meeting him where he was at. He was working with what's happening in his mind, but at the same time, guess what? He was still being used. So I want you guys to, to basically take note of that, that God did not allow Moses' hesitant attitude to stop the promises fulfilling his life. That also affected hundreds and hundreds of people. God redirected Moses to God's power. You know, Moses came out of hiding because those, uh, those words that he may have grown up with, like, you guys think that stutter came out of nowhere? <laughs> it probably was with him as in his childhood. It was probably with him as growing up. Can you imagine him growing up in a wealthy um, Egyptian household, and then you're supposed to represent power and authority and stature, and you can barely even speak? How many times he probably was taunted and made fun of as a, as, a, as a kid or a teenager growing up? You know, 
He, and, and, and possibly even the memories of murdering somebody. That doesn't just go away overnight, guys. And God knows what Moses did. So all of that in his mind, he's like, he's basically even saying, Moses was saying, like, I can't really do this. You don't know who I am. But then God reminded him that, that he is the great I am. And then all the people of Egypt was way more free than more ways that they ever thought of. So then we take a look at that in Moses. So let's take a look at the next person, Cain. Cain and his jealousy. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 15, it's pretty long, but I want to I wanna read to you guys basically this one part in verse 5. It says, Cain's face was downcast. In other translations, it says it was dejected. And basically meaning it was he was depressed. And the reason why he was in that type of way was because he saw the favor that was upon his brother. And the way his brother, the way when he offered his sacrifices, God accepted it. But then when Cain, when it was his turn to offer his sacrifices, guess what? God wasn't necessarily pleased with him because it wasn't, it was a matter of a heart issue. You see, Cain was already filled with jealousy as he was offering his sacrifices. In the form, he was in, an, in a position of disobedience. And there's even a part where, where God says, like, if you only will do what's right, won't, will I not accept you? And it was, he wasn't even talking about necessarily about the, the sacrifices, but the attitude that he was carrying in the way that he was um, offering sacrifices. And even God even told him, like, you need to master, like, sin is crouching at your door, and you need to master it. And I'm like, at first, I'm going to be with you guys. I read that verse, and I remember reading that verse as a kid. I was like, how in the world am I supposed to master that, master my sin? And then I remember, of course, what Jesus did for me on the cross. But, of course, in this case, God was basically telling him, like, listen, you need to be in control instead of your emotions allowing you. You see, what Cain did, and, and I remember this analogy that was taught to me, and, and I, will, I will teach it to you as well. What, what Cain did, all he did was really he just suppressed his emotions. He was suppressing his jealousy. He was suppressing his, his anger. Instead of just talking to God about it, instead of just talking to somebody about it. But what happens when you suppress that? It's still there. You may not see it, but it's still there. Look at that. And then as soon as you let that go, you're thinking that, okay, everything's good. Life is good. But guess what? Those emotions will go, go right back to its form. Right back there. It will find you. So how does the Bible teach us, especially in our most? It teaches a lot about emotions. It teaches about self-control, and I could go on a tangent about the fruits of the Holy Spirit, but we're not going to do that today. Maybe another day. It teaches us to come to God. It teaches us the way that we need to be in control of our emotions. It's literally surrendering unto God. But the thing is, Cain was too proud to do so. You know, his face was downcast, meaning his face was towards the ground, and he was upset. And today, when something makes us mad, upset, anger, majority of us will hide it. We will suppress it, but it's not good to suppress our emotions. It's not good at all. We always do need to talk to somebody. And there's a ways that we can cope with that. And next week, when, we, when the panelists come, and when you guys break out to your groups you know, with um, um, boys and, 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 and um, guys and ladies, we're going to be talking about healthy ways of coping. You know, there are healthy ways and there are unhealthy ways. You know, obviously, Cain dealt with it in a very unhealthy way. He murdered his brother. He's like, <laughs> wow, I feel so much better. <laughs> That's not a good way to, at all to do it. Um, bad joke. I know. I'm sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> totally sorry, face. But you guys get the point. There's unhealthy ways to cope. 
there's unhealthy ways to do things. And quite often, we know that we're doing what we're doing is unhealthy. We know it because the conviction of the Holy Spirit that is within us. We know it because of the moral compass that God has built within us. But instead, we try to suppress it and we try to, to put away the anger instead of mastering as God said to do. And when we're going through our emotions, what happens is that, and we don't want to, and we suppress it, what happens when we do that? We, we isolate ourselves. And that is a big, huge thing. The moment we start isolating ourselves is when, honestly, is when the enemy even gets, you're just making a wider hole for the, for the enemy to, to, to walk into. Your mind is there just by you and yourselves. Instead of somebody to be able to support you, to pray with you, to come along alongside you, the way that Aaron walked alongside with, his, with Moses until he was able to finally lead the people, like, I encourage you guys not to isolate yourself. I encourage you guys not to put yourself in a position where, where you can cause um, harm to yourself or worse to others because of the built-in emotions that is within you. And I'll, and I'll share something that is a little bit transparent. I remember when I was going dealing with my own mental health, one thing that I was really, really afraid of was um, people seeing something that they never knew was there. You know, the uncontrolled emotions, the uncontrolled bitterness or anger. Many of you have heard my story when I spoke at Lock and Lock Out. If you didn't, then you can buy it for $9.99 on CD. I'm kidding. But it basically, you, you miss it, I guess, at Lock In. But I dealt with a lot of bitterness, a lot of depression, a lot of rage and anger, especially the way I grew up with being undocumented and in the positions that I was that I had to be in and being in court and almost deported out of this country, it obviously built up bitterness within me. But as an adult, I never realized how much so. When as an adult, when I was in therapy, my therapist basically had, told me, like, have you grieved the moments that you lost as a child? Have you grieved the moments that you lost as a student in high school? And, I, and quite honestly, I was so upset when he asked me that because it's basically he's telling me I had to let it go. <laughs> I had to grieve it. Accept what would, would happen and then move on. But you see, God is so good is that when I, that, this was like maybe three or four years ago, God is so good is that there was always an underlying back thought in my head where I'm like, all right, cool, I grieved it, I let it go, I'm not bitter anymore, kind of still am. Um, and that's that lingering thought where it's just like, it just sucked, what happened? It just, it just sucked so much and I just didn't understand it. I can't understand it, especially where I am today, how unblessed I am and how God just ebbed and webbed and flowed everything together. But it was still a lot of years lost as a student in high school, as a child. And then when I was interviewing here, I remember when Dave Groom spoke a message. I heard the first time when I spoke, uh, heard Dave Groom speak live. He spoke about, about uh, something, not even completely what he said, but he basically said, I think this is something for someone here today. Like, did you know that not every bad thing that happens in your life is, is the devil's fault? And that God is still sovereign in your life, over your Christian life, as you are obedient, as you surrender unto him. God is sovereign, and he takes care of you. And I promise you guys, in that very moment, that lingering thought that I had in the back of my head about bitterness, about everything in the past, just came flushing forward, and it just made sense. That God's sovereign will, and that sovereign is sovereign even through the bad things, and that he still will take care of us especially in this moment with Cain. Cain asked God to literally protect him because he knew that when people found out that he, when he killed his brother, that he would also be harmed. But then the Lord said, then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. 
God literally just had an interaction with this dude that just killed his brother, called him out on it, told him how to act upon it, but then Cain literally pleaded with God, like, listen, man, you got to do something, man. I know I took a life, but I don't want to be killed. And God just said, like, I will protect you. And God had a moment where he was merciful over Cain. You know, maybe, maybe in this moment in your life, you think, like, God probably can't meet me where I'm at. He can't be merciful. And let me tell you, he can't. You don't know how big God is. You don't know how merciful he is. You don't know how much love he has for you. And in this last one, we're going to talk about Adam and Eve. And I'm, and I'm going to ask the band to come up real quick. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command not to eat from the tree of knowledge and therefore committing the first sin. Their eyes opened to the realization of them being naked and exposed, so they tried to cover themselves up and hid among the trees. How many times do we try to hide our mistakes instead of seeking help and guidance? How many times do we hide because of other people's mistakes that occurred in even our own lives? When I read this story, I am amazed that God didn't shun Adam and Eve away immediately. It said that in the cool uh, moment of the day, as God was walking in the garden, I, thought, I think that, that part of history is so cool. God walking amongst his creation, and he obviously knew what happened. But the first thing he asked was, where are you? Adam and Eve, where are you? Of course God knew exactly where they were. But he allowed them to approach him. He allowed them to meet them exactly where, where they are. You know, he was, of course, disappointed that his children listened to the enemy, rather their own father. But God wanted to first know where they were, as, he, as a concerned father would. This question says a lot more than we realize. It says, where is your mind at? Where is your heart? Even today, God is still asking that question. Where are you? And then he then asked the next question um, over um, after Adam and Eve basically said, you know, uh, we, we, we hid because we were naked. And then the next question he said, who told you that you were naked? I think that question is epic, guys. Because he didn't go on all command on, on them, like going upset. Obviously, they got their punishment. They were expelled out of the garden and, 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 and the consequences of sin. But in this very moment, he was addressing the issue like, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were exposed? Who told you all these lies? And it's a question that God even asks today when we're dealing with our own issues, our own struggles with sin, our own mental health, and whatever's happening in here, whatever's happening in our hearts, and whatever has happened in the past, God is calling us out still, where are you? God is still asking you also as well, who told you that you're broken? Who told you that you can't be fixed? Who told you that you can never achieve anything? There's, I know some of you guys' stories. Because some of you guys' stories may, may seem very different. But guess what? We're still on the same wavelength that we still need a Savior, that we still need Jesus, and that we still need God's reckless love to always continuously pursue us. Because guess what? Only he is God, and he can do it. He can meet you exactly where you are with your emotions, exactly where you are with your mental, um, um, whatever issues that you're going to. And God is still asking all of these questions today. When God looks at you and you're asking for forgiveness and you repent of all your sins with all your heart, not just once, not just that one time when you're saying, Jesus, come into my heart. No, every single day. He looks at you. He's looking at the blood of Jesus Christ over you. And I need you, I need you guys to understand that. When he looks at you, he's not looking through your struggles. He's looking at the, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. 
And that's why what Jesus did on the cross is so important. It was exactly for you in this exact moment of time. And so don't let the devil put lies in your head. Don't even believe your own lies. There's a, Andy Mino, his one of his good lines that I, I like is, the biggest enemy is me. And sometimes we are our greatest enemy that is preventing us to go into deeper relationship with God. So I'm going to leave you with these two um, Bible verses, and we're going to go back into the song of reckless love. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The first step that we always need to take is to be in Jesus Christ. And if you are not in Christ, meaning if you don't have a relationship with God, then where are you? In the second verse, it says, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son, excuse me, by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me tell you, if you're on a, if you have a bad day, read that verse. Especially the part that says, by trusting in the Son of God who loved Natalie, who loved Ashley, who loved Pamela, who loved Christian, who loved Hunter, and gave himself for you. For you. That part right there, it's supposed to cause a reaction for us to run to Christ with all of our issues, all of them, not the other way around. So I want you, invite you to just stand up in this moment as we sing this song, Reckless Love. Um, um, I will try to get to small groups. If you don't, don't let this moment pass. I want to encourage you, our, our small group leaders, um, to basically, if you feel like God wants you to use you to pray over the students, please do so. But this is a moment right here where we can just pray on to God. Um, don't wait till next week when the panelists are here for you to start asking those questions. Like, ask God those questions now. He can start healing you and guiding you in this very moment. A specific word. I want you guys to recognize a specific word. And the word is shame. I want you guys to recognize that word because I, I promise you it's going to be that word and that emotion that's going to stop you from reaching out to somebody. It's going to be that emotion that's going to stop you from from crying out to God. I, I knew it because I recognize that word very well. That, that stopped me from reaching out to many people that God clearly placed in my life. But I, you know, the word fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. When in fact, I wasn't good. I wasn't fine. When you start feeling the emotion that you're not worthy enough to be saved, when you start feeling that in a way where you think that what, what you have done or how you have thought what you are feeling. And at this point, I'm not even just talking about sin. I'm talking about your walk, your daily walk. There's sometimes there's words that come into our heads that tells us that we're not good enough. There's sometimes there's moments in our lives where we feel rejection, where we feel pain. And I'm not talking about the type of you won second place or that's too bad. No, I'm talking about real life emotions that is going to hit you as a high schooler, and it's going to hit you even harder as an adult because shame stopped you. Recognize that word. Know where it is at all times. And keep a very close eye on it. Look it up. Look up the definition. Know exactly where you are with shame. What do you do in shame? Do you hide? Do you isolate? Do you get angry? Do you 
well, well up in, the, in, the, in pride, thinking that you're better than anybody. It looks differently for everybody, quite honestly. And it's a, it's a defense mechanism. It's an unhealthy way to deal with things. Now, everybody's at their own pace. This today could just be a start of, some, of a journey for somebody. Maybe it could be the end of something. But I want you guys to recognize the word because when Adam and, Adam and Eve did the first sin for all mankind, God asked them, where are you? And God specifically said, who told you? He was trying to challenge the thoughts that are in the heads. He was trying to be a good investigator. And that's what we need to be in our lives. Understand why do we react a certain way? Having an emotional awareness, not just for the benefit of showing that, hey, I'm okay, I'm good, I know what mental health is, I know how to do these things. Yeah, you know, you're gonna, I don't know, mental health awareness day, you post a picture, I'm good. Who cares what other people think, guys? Can I tell you that? How long are we gonna live a life of, of, a, of a social media lifestyle that we have to be worrying about what other people think? And I know that's easier said than done for people in your life, but I'm going to just start drilling that in your head in your head right now. Who cares about what other people think? Care about what Jesus thinks. Care about the reckless love of how he poured it out to you on the cross, how he's pursuing you every single day. And that's sometimes hard to believe. But let me tell you that even when we were sinners, Christ loved us. How much more now? that he's pursuing you. So let's just pray and let's break up into our small groups. And, and quite honestly, whatever you can get out of that small group, even if it's just to pray, even if it's just to talk about your day, whatever it may, maybe the small group is going to happen as you walk out and come back in. I know we don't have that much time, but just know, guys, small group doesn't just stop at 8 o'clock. Your small group leaders are here for you guys. If you don't have their numbers, you should. So you can reach out to them. You can talk to them. You can ask questions. If you don't have my number, if you want it, sure. Of course, for the guys. For the ladies, you got to reach out to them. <laughs> or my wife. I know my wife is available to, for people to talk. So let's just pray. And let's turn over our shame. Let's turn over everything in this very moment. Close your, let's close our eyes and just pray out to God. Father, we cry out to you. We say, God, we need you. Jesus, we need you right now. God, we need you in our thoughts. We need you in our hearts. God, we ask that you may remove the shame, that wall that separates from just deepening on our relationship with you. It's not so that we can put a, a Bible verse on our Instagram profile. It's not so that we can post about a noble woman Bible verse on, I don't know, on a specific Sunday. It's not so we can just show up on a Sunday and sing some words. Lord, we need a deeper relationship with you. And guess what? Sometimes it is us that stands in the way. It's how we think. It's how we react. And God, sometimes we just don't know what to do. Sometimes we feel lonely, God, in the midst of so many people. Jesus, meet us where we are at. Just like how you met Moses where he was at 40 years later. Just like how you met Cain in that moment, even when he pleaded with you not to spare his life, and you did because you're a merciful God. And just like how you did with Adam and Eve. Lord, we love you, and we want to know you deeper.
in the moments that are tough, in the moments that are good, in the moments when our minds are telling us something different, let uh, teach us to walk in the way of righteousness and pursuing holiness. God, I pray for our small group leaders right now. Students, I ask you that you can just, in your minds or open your mouth, pray for your small group leader right now in this moment. God, I pray for Nick. I pray for Pamela. I pray for Holly, Kelly, Jackie, April. I pray, Lord, for John. I pray for Hunter. I pray for Jack. I pray for Ty and for Jamie. Lord, I pray for these, these people that you have placed here in this moment of time whether it be for the next month or for the next four years, Lord, we pray over them in the name of Jesus Christ that you may empower them and that you may continue showing them your love. And that out of your love, Lord, they may may be able to serve the students, serve the people around them, Lord, because it is not easy. We're all in this one earth pursuing you, God. And we all need you, Jesus. So I pray for all of us in this very room that we can get closer to you, Jesus. There's some of you in this room right now that God is speaking to you. He's speaking to you. Don't don't doubt it. And don't wait for it till tomorrow to act on it. Thank you, Jesus, for this moment. Thank you, God. Amen.